0: This is The Waiting Room, the podcast where Kvetris marketeer Darren Malouli chats to key opinion leaders in the veterinary world and beyond. Join us as we discover why you deserve the best practice and why they deserve the best care.
1: Hello and you're very welcome to The Waiting Room. Coming up on this series, we have some incredible guests lined up. I talk to key industry influencers and thought leaders about how you can maximize your vet practice. On each episode, we're gonna delve right into their stories and have tactical and motivational talks from the veterinary and marketing worlds. So whether you're a vet, a nurse, a practice manager, or even a veterinary student who hasn't delved into the working world yet, this show was made just for you. So if you've ever wondered how to increase profits, optimize your socials, or jazz up your digital presence, you don't want to miss a beat. Coming up on today's show, it's all about dental. We'll be hearing from Susan Thorne and Norman Johnston from Dental Vets in North Berwick to explore how they have made the most of their practice. We talk everything from tools of the trade, morning routines, and the importance of dentistry to practice profits. This episode of the podcast is powered by Covetris, the global leader in animal health technology and services, bringing together your favorite brands like Calibra Pet Foods, Skill Diagnostics and Equipment, Cruise and of course the Henry Shine brand, Covetris is a serious one-stop shop. And if that wasn't enough, you can also get advice on how to make your veterinary practice boom with their business consultancy service. And for this episode, Covetris are giving you a very special third off selected Calibra Joy Denta products. Check out the show notes for that and a couple of other special discounts just for podcast listeners. Very welcome to The Waiting Room podcast, Uh the very first show. I asked you guys to to come up with five words that best describe you. Mm -hmm. So we're doing this kind of little icebreaker for for each episode of the podcast so people who may not know you very well can get to know you a little bit better. So what were your five words that you came up with?
0: Uh, Mine were a conscientious and ambitious veterinary dental candidate.
1: Okay, that's very good. That's better than mine anyway.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and I <laughs> Is that is that pushing a little bit? <laughs> yeah.
1: And Norman, what about yourself? Privileged to be a aid. Privileged to be a that's, vet. That's really, really nice. So Susan, tell me a little bit about like your background, where you're from. You're from Argyll, right? Yeah, yeah, from
0: the country in Argyll. So we, we lived, just with mum and dad, we lived on the shores of Loughbain. And that's where I grew up. Um, and I went to primary school at Tinybrook. Primary, just doing a small village primary school, and then for secondary school, school I went to Dunoon Grammar School. Did you
1: always have an interest in animals? Do you have pets?
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, we always had pets. So we had a family Labrador, a family cat, and I had horses growing up as well that I rode. Okay. So it was always because we lived in the country, we were surrounded by animals. And so it okay. Much
1: and look, was anybody in your family in the veterinary world?
0: No, no. I was. The, I'm the first vet in my family. Okay. both sides. Yeah. Right.
1: What was the, like, the most memorable moment when you were growing up that you were like, I think I want to study this? I want to go into uh,
0: Well, I did it, so I kind of done it a strange way. I've done this as my second degree, so I actually didn't aim to be a vet from the very beginning. So I went to Aberdeen and did zoology first, um, and that was my aim to be a zoologist. And then after working as that for a couple of years, I diversified and went back to become a vet.
1: So, can you, and this is from a layman's point of view, can you study zoology and then can that lead you into veterinary medicine, or what would zoology lead you into?
0: Zoology would be more into kind of studying animals in the wild. So more, like I worked in the Azores doing it, watching, studying whales. Um, and I worked at a fish farm, breeding halibut. Um, and then, but then if you then want to go into veterinary, you then have to do another degree okay. to do veterinary. So they don't lead on to each other.
1: Okay, so you studied in Glasgow and Aberdeen, yeah? Yes. Okay. And what was? Did you have any inspiring lecturers or people who, who taught you when you were
0: there? Um, they're all, all amazing and all specialists in their field. So I really enjoyed Glasgow. It's a very open university and very friendly. Yeah. Um, and it really helped kind of guide me. And if you've got any worries or concerns, they're very open about helping you. Okay. So I really, really enjoyed my time at Glasgow.
1: And did you ha- have a lot of concerns or was there um, ever a moment where you were like, this is not for me, I don't want to do this?
0: Um, I think everybody has kind of moments of that going through the veterinary degree. It's a very intensive um, degree and it's very difficult academically and emotionally sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think there's always points where people do feel, oh, this isn't for me, but you just have to, you just have to get through it.
1: <laughs> what What would happen like emotionally w- when it was difficult? Like, yeah, it's case. more
0: just kind of the cases that you see, kind of that it can be difficult, especially when you're just coming into veterinary, kind of to see these cases that you can't help or, you know, you're dealing with euthanasias and, you know there's those, those concerns um, and that's how it's emotionally difficult
1: it must be tough like I imagine and Norman you can chime in here as well that there is that emotional side of it because if you're in a caring profession I know I have some friends who work as doctors or I have friends who work as social care workers mm-hmm. or people with um, special needs that kind of stuff and when you're in a caring profession like it can be really really difficult you've probably encountered a lot
2: of that yeah, but I mean it's a relatively you know, wellness, mental wellness and physical wellness is a relatively new concept. And um, you know, I think it might be driven by the fact that of course it's it's important. Um and also really the recognition that there's a lot of, you know, younger graduates really struggle with that regard. And you know, I, I can you know, I don't think we ever got much help with that because, you know, it wasn't something that was discussed in the in the days gone by, you know, you just got on with it or you know, I think for example the Harriet type of the Harriet type of profession that there was. The books were around when I was uh, at vet school, but they described the profession in the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties. Mm-hmm. And that was the kind of profession that, that was still around in those days, you know, in the seventies. So there wasn't so much in, in terms of emotional support in that regard. That must have been quite tough. Well, it didn't seem so at the time, okay. but you might find you know at that at that time you know the profession was overwhelmingly male. You know my year had only three girls in it, for example, and now it would be the other way around, But instead of being you know fifty people, they'd bring in they'd maybe bring in a hundred and fifty people. So, mm-hmm. you know the you know it was a kind of dominated by farmers' boys, vets' boys, that kind of stuff. You know, and they were presumably brought up not to, you know, to be that kind of uh, you know emotional about. What was happening around about them? Okay,
1: it's not manly to show emotion. <laughs> well, also you know from the
2: point of view of these guys, maybe they'd been farmers' boys since you know they were born, and they mm-hmm. they were used to the fact that animals died, and uh, you know it wasn't like kind of you know, if, if you just come into it as a as somebody from the city, um, you know maybe as a pet lover, it's it's an entirely different kind of mindset, really. Mm-hmm. So maybe the farmers' boys and the vets' boys were kind of set up a bit better, Great. you know, from the early days than, yeah. than graduates might be, might be now.
1: And were you a a, a farmer boy? No, no,
2: absolutely not. You know, I was brought up in Edinburgh, you know, a okay. city boy, uh, no connection with animals whatsoever. Uh, and in fact, in the year I was in, I think there was only maybe four of us that were not connected to animals in some way, either through vet, vets' as parents or, um, or farmers' as parents. So why animal health for you? Why why did you do this? Just never thought about doing anything else really.
1: So Great. that that was that that was it really from early on. So you're like the opposite of uh, Susan almost.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean certainly I uh, I can't recall, you know, other than being want to be a farmer or a train driver, you know, but that maybe disappeared about maybe eight or nine. <laughs> and I can't recall anything else I wanted to do beyond yeah. beyond that kind of age in my life.
1: And where did you study? In Edinburgh.
2: Uh, and yeah, so. you know, I went to school in Edinburgh and yeah. went to Vet school in Edinburgh as well. Okay, and what
1: was that? What was your university experience like?
2: Uh, well, I man, I loved it. You know, I was sad to leave. Okay. You know, I really was sad. I mean, five years of utter enjoyment. You know, I thought uh, you know it was hard work. Um, you know, university they say would be great if there wasn't any exams at the end of the year, but I mean, it was hard work, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, as I say, I really, I really was sad to leave. But it was there's time you have to spread your wings and go. Absolutely,
1: yeah. No, that transition period, I had the same when I left college. I was there for six years. Um, And it was, like, it's tough going into the, you know, the the adult world. world. (laughs) The real world. Um, And Susan, going back to you, tell us about your travels, your, like, wild travels. that You studied Um, huge animals.
0: When I was studying zoology for the summers that I was studying that, then I went um, and volunteered in South Africa so one year I went um, and I was studying great white sharks and um, they were doing a study on them so I was helping them um, and another year I went to a game reserve near Hoodstreet, um and studied their elephant and lion there
1: that's amazing I was in uh, India a couple of years back well, No, I would have been 24 which is longer than I think but I got really really close to elephants I think they're like incredible animals what was that like working with huge wildlife
0: yeah it was it was amazing and that's From the zoology point of view, that's always what I've wanted to do, because it was observing wild animals in their habitat. So it wasn't, you know, hands-on at all, but that was always what i would wanted to do, a bit like a David Attenborough type thing.
1: Did you want to get into TV as well? Uh, No. (laughs) um, You may
0: retire soon, you know. (laughs) But um, but, yeah, there's there's not many jobs out there that let you watch elephants and get paid for it. Okay, unfortunately not. Um, And Norman,
1: back to you again. So tell me about when you set up Dental Vets.
2: Well, I was in general practice in Edinburgh for over 20 years and uh, I was beginning to get more and more interested in dentistry. Um, but there really wasn't any um, ability to, to learn from anybody in the UK because we were in the late 80s when the British Veterinary Dental Association started. That was the first time that like-minded people ever got together uh, and most of us were there because we were extremely unhappy with the standard of dentistry that was being practiced at the, at that time. Mm-hmm. So that allowed us to at least discuss things and get forward a little bit more and the development of these machines was the catalyst presumably us all getting together as an association. Mm-hmm. But to go any further than that really I had to you know educate myself abroad and that was that was what really caused the catalyst to leave general practice was that um, and the only place I could really go was the United States because although there were people in Europe that might be able to help me and mentor me through, I didn't have enough language skills to be able to speak to the clients, clients for example. You know, So uh, I ended up um, leaving and, and re-educating over about five years. Um, and that was, that was Dental Vets that started at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. So coming from a healthcare background, And then wanting to set up your own practice, did you always have a a little tiny flame of entrepreneurship in there somewhere?
2: Well, i had had a practice in Edinburgh, you know, for 20 years, you know, so I knew, you know, what running a practice was all about. And developing it, you know, from basically, you know, two vets and two nurses and a receptionist to like 30 people. So when I went to, started up dental vets, my intention was to keep it small and simple, but it eventually didn't end up from some point, you know, so uh, here we are, you know, many years later. Okay, so you had that
1: practice for 20
2: years? 20, I was in, yeah, I was in Edinburgh for 21 years. Okay. Yeah. And how did you find running a practice being the head? The well, I had dog? two partners at the time, you know, so we shared our responsibilities and that was relatively, relatively simple. So, um, and they had just recently retired themselves, you know, so they kept on going over that period of time.
1: And how did you find it, like balancing the healthcare side of it and the business side of it?
2: Yeah, uh, I was just used to it. You know, so one comes with when you, can, well, you can't do one without the other. So, and I was used to it from that point of view. So, um, yeah, I was always aware of you know, the marketing and finances and the you know the, what it takes really to you know to keep a business running. But to a certain extent, you know, my wife has been a great help <laughs> with that. Cause she's also a vet, but she's she's taken more of a, a share of the 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 management of this practice than I did. Okay.
1: So she's the, the kind of marketing She was. Brain. Yeah,
2: behind that. Because I was traveling a lot. And uh, in the early days, before we physically had these premises, I'd be on the road four days out of five. So I was traveling 2,000 miles a week. And, you know, I needed somebody at home to you know, basically run the place. So, okay. She was, the, she was the catalyst to that. Behind every great man. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and how
1: many, so your wife
2: works here, how many other like, residents and, and staff do you have here? Well, you know, Susan's our senior. Peter is uh, also in the AVDC residency. We have an intern mm-hmm. who started just a few weeks ago, Becky, who's, you know, we've got great hopes for. So these are all our all our vets. Um, you know, we've got a lot of support staff as well, so veterinary nurses mm-hmm. and receptionists as well. I imagine it's quite a busy place because it's there aren't many dental specialists in
1: the area. I suppose
2: no. No, this is it. This is Scotland. This is it for Scotland Scotland. and the north of England. Okay. So, you know, our kind of territory is basically from Durham, Cumbria, North to Shetland. Okay. We are the only veterinary dental practice in that area. So you you need to go go down down to Leeds, Manchester, you know, to to get colleagues down in that area who do the same thing. Clients coming up that far. We do yeah that's so,
1: normal for yeah us. is everything um referrals
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah okay
0: yeah so um a vet will contact mm-hmm. us and say that they have case so they'll either ask us advice or send us over emails and we'll say yes give the advice back um and then the vets will then go back to their clients and say what we said discuss what the options would be and then if they want to refer they send them over here and uh, we get everything organised. And then we can then speak directly to the client to book in appointments and give them information.
1: We're going to take a quick break just now from my chat with Susan and Norman to hear from a few very special guests. Have a listen. So, guys, I'm here on the stunning shores of North Berwick. And I'm out and about seeing can I corner a couple of unsuspecting people to ask them all about their dogs or cats' dental health. So let's find out if the people of North Berwick brush their dog's teeth. I've thought about it, but um, never actually tried it. Okay. Do you know that you're supposed to?
2: No. Different chews. They they're supposed to clean the teeth. So okay. Yeah.
1: What kind of chews do you use?
2: I use the the sort of dental ones, but being a hungry lab, she tends to just chew and swallow.
0: Stuff. No, but she gets dental sticks every day. Yeah. She's got great great teeth if you have a look.
2: But
1: have you brought her to the dentist before? No. For any extractions or anything no. like that. No. Nope. You keep her nice and healthy? Yes. Good of stuff. Of course. Kayleigh, do you brush your dog's teeth?
0: No. I've he gets, uh, like, the chew bones.
1: What, what breed is he?
0: He's a dog de Bordeaux.
1: He's a big fella. Yeah. <laughs> so, have you ever brought him to the dentist before?
0: Eh, uh, no. He, go, he goes to the vets, the vets check his teeth and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I don't. I've, I've thought about it, I've numbered this. Times,
2: but never quite got round to it Okay. Uh, they've had their teeth done before okay. Yeah. So they've, uh, while they've been out for other things I've got their teeth scaled and polished uh, The wee black one's Mackie He's just turned 12 this week This, hey, is, his, this is his birthday treat okay. <laughs> <laughs> And Mitzi's 12 as well
1: They're very cute What breed are they?
2: They're mixed breeds They're street dogs from
1: Cyprus So there you have it A big thanks to Christine Anne, Taylor and Kaylee For chatting to me in North Berwick And now back to Dental Vets I wanted really wanted to ask you about this and again from a general veterinarian side how do your tools of the trade change Norman you mentioned this lovely Henry Schein machine behind me um so what kind of tools did you have to like upskill with when you moved into dental
0: uh so when when you're um basically a new graduate or you've just or you're a general practice vet then you get you get kind of taught by Norman um for one day out of your five years at university <laughs> So you come out not having any dental knowledge, really. So coming here as a resident, mm-hmm. I had to start from the beginning and learn. Um, okay. And Norman taught me everything that I know. Uh, you need to be able to extract teeth. Well, we need to do, so we do root canal treatment as one of our standards. So that's more of what a normal dentist would use mm-hmm. that uh, veterinary, veterinary surgeons just wouldn't don't use. You need to be able to do that. We, d- we place things such as crowns on teeth. So if teeth need that, we restore teeth. We can do, you know, oral surgery. So if you have a mass that needs removed, we take out parts of jaws. Okay. So these are all things that aren't really done at general practice level.
1: Okay. Why are dental issues so prevalent with small animals? Like, well, say, gingivitis or periodontal yeah. disease.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, it parallels uh, human dentistry, really. I mean, it, they're, they're, it's very common in human dentistry as well. It's just the awareness of dealing with um, oral hygiene. Oral mm. hygiene is generally better with humans. Um, That's ingrained in an early age, that you brush your teeth twice a day. And very simply, the purpose of that is to remove the biofilm that we call plaque. And much of the dental problems that we see in animals comes from the development of plaque or the fact that plaque is not regularly removed. So the hygiene thing, which is what general practice does most commonly, scaling and polishing and extracting of teeth, is just part of what comes from poor hygiene in many cases. What we're also dealing with that Susan alluded to there was things like trauma, for example. You know, so inappropriate chewing, um, you know, catching rocks, you know, chewing stones and that kind of stuff. I mean, these are things that are not too friendly activities, and we're dealing with a lot of that. So, okay. um, so, but yeah, I mean, you see, you know, the, and the tools you were talking about, of course, you know, high-speed drills, dental X-rays, they're critical to what we do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that that's the kind of thing that we really put together. Okay.
1: And Susan, what can pet parents do to improve hygiene,
0: um, hygiene? I mean, the gold standard is to brush your dog's teeth, so or cat's teeth, if they'll allow it. Um, some won't, but if you get them started from an early age, uh, then that's the best thing to do, is to, to brush teeth. Mm. Um, in terms of diet, feeding dry food is ideal as well, just because it acts to reduce some of the plaque as well. Because if you're crunching down on kibble, then that acts almost like a toothbrush as mm-hmm. so, well. Um, and those are the stand the gold standards.
1: I tell you, it's not easy brushing a dog's teeth. No. We, no. we tried to do it about two weeks ago
2: with uh, much failure. I mean, it is We're something, right. you know, you can you can train them to do that. It, it just, we, we describe it really as that's the battle. You know, the war is to do it for their entire life, once a day if you can. That's the gold standard. Mm-hmm. But if you start just slowly and carefully, then you can often... Um, make it part of their daily routine without too much of a fight okay. but taking it slow and easy at the start is really important. So what
1: about recovery after surgeries or tooth extractions?
0: Yeah. Um, after things such as extractions they'll be on pain relief so we give them enough pain relief we'll always send them back to the referring vet as well for them to check how they're getting on and if there's any complications then we discuss that with the referring vets or we'll see them again here mm-hmm. um, and we also phone the clients, um over the follow-up period to check how the dog's getting on just because our clients can be a long way away it's nice to keep them in contact over the phone just to even reassure them for sure um, but after extractions it would be things like soft food um, and possibly buster collars so the dogs don't pot their face mm-hmm. um, but actually the mouth heals very well and um, just as in humans
1: and norman I imagine that moving into dental specialization can be quite profitable so what would you say to general veterinary medicine um, gen- general veterinarians now who aren't kind of taking advantage of dental
2: well it's a core part of their their um, practice life um, We used to consider when I was in general practice that roughly a quarter of our operating board should be dentistry in any given day and if you weren't if that wasn't the case you're not diagnosing enough and this isn't the great thing about this is that this is this is uh, a need that's there that that needs to be addressed. You know, from the welfare of the animals' point of view, it isn't something that is new that you need to add 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 to your practice. Uh, so, dentistry is is probably the easiest way to ensure that you have a full operating list every day, um, and it's a need that the animals that come to the practice have. We, we're always proactive about these kind of things. It's much easier to do a 15-minute scale and polish than it is to do an hour and a half to extract of 20 teeth. And if you're proactive, you generally keep the thing at the simple end and keep the animals functioning well. And if you're not proactive, then it's irregular uh, dentistry with a lot to do every time. Mm-hmm. And it's much cheaper for everybody. You know, the problem with all... Dentistry in animals—it's done under general anaesthetic. There is no other way, um, so it's unethical for vets in this country to do dentistry without a general anaesthetic, and that's very important because people don't need that. They just sit in the chair for twenty minutes and then they're gone—you know, back that to is. their normal life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, animals are having a general anaesthetic and the extra cost of that that entails. So, as long as people are aware of that, then it puts an onus on the owners to be more uh, proactive with their own daily toothbrushing of their animal, because if they don't do that, then it's a regular treatment at their vet that's that's necessary.
1: Okay, and so say for a recent graduate who's listened to this podcast, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them if they want to be where you are in a, a number of years?
0: Um, the, if they've just graduated, then they would have to be in general practice for at least a year, um, or they can go down the route of doing uh, an internship, so that would be a rotating internship normally at one of the universities, and then they can start applying for residencies in dentistry.
1: Okay. And Norman, would you
2: have any kind of top tips for getting into the into the industry? What, what getting into veterinary dentistry? <laughs> well, because that's, that's that's a formal pr- training program that leads to specialization, but, you know, most general practice vets just want to be better at dentistry. And if that's the case, they can do a number of, you know, there'll be training programs, there's many training programs on the, the CPD diaries that will allow them to learn a lot more about dentistry. Mm-hmm. You know, we would generally expect a, a practice, uh, a pra- practicing vet to be good at, to, good at basic dentistry, you know, up to extracting important teeth, and beyond that they might want to refer something. But they can get these skills through CPD quite easily. Mm-hmm. But it is the the, more, the important thing about dentistry is it's not sitting watching a slideshow that makes you a better dentist. It's being hands on. So practical courses are so important. That's the one that brings you forward a lot. That's it. Mm-hmm.
1: And talk us through, I suppose, what your what your daily what your day looks like. Mm-hmm. I suppose from morning morning to night.
0: Um, well, we run we run up to six cases a day. So we come in, we do our admits in the morning, um, and then we do the procedures, and then at that point our morning. Uh, clients go home and then we get the afternoon ones in to do the admin with them, do the procedures and then they go home at about half past four or five o'clock
1: and one thing whenever i'm talking to people or interviewing people i'm always really interested in kind of how they do what they do so no you know you've often heard about like the morning routines of highly successful people so people that would say specifically in your industry you guys have had great success what like what does your morning routine look like how do you set yourself up for success for the day
0: uh, I don't have much morning routine I'm not early riser. <laughs> <laughs> I get up and I feed the dog I I go for a walk and then I come to work as
2: quickly as possible okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I and mean, well, relatively similar you know a good breakfast basically a uh, couple of cups of coffee yeah. then get, get in early I like to prepare myself very early for, for the day just make sure I know, you know who's coming why they're coming what practice is sending them any slight nuances about the case that I might Mm-hmm. And also, really think of things about the the owner that might be interesting, so I've got something to talk to the owner about because they get here very nervous. They're very nervous when they arrive here. They? The animals are nervous. The owners are nervous. They've probably travelled for two or three hours. Yeah. Uh, so just making them welcome and and getting them at their ease is quite important. Mm-hmm. They're often not slept because of what they think is going to happen to their pet Absolutely. when they get here. So Definitely. we go through a PowerPoint with them, just show exactly what we're likely to be doing, and that often allows them to head off to the the spectacular beauty of North Berwick and allow them to have a cup of coffee and see the, the panorama in front of them and not worry so much about what's going on here. Okay, so you're a people person as well, not just an animal person. Well, I think you need to treat them both, don't you? You do. Yeah, yeah. you treat the owners and you treat the pets.
1: So to set yourself up for success, Norman, you have to... Preparation a good is breakfast. key. And have a good, a good feed in the morning. Okay. Information is king. Absolutely yeah. king. And I suppose on to your health, which is often overlooked, possibly. I know mental health and emotional well-being, which we touched on earlier on. What do you guys do to look at, look look after your emotional well-being and your health?
0: Um, I just try and spend as much time with my family as possible. Um, only we're quite a sporty family, so... Sports helps, you know. You have to have something, something else to concentrate your mind on. Get some endorphins running.
1: Yeah, and sport. Did I say you were a? a I'm not going to say an Olympic sailor,
0: but a profession, <laughs> a professional sailor. Uh, no, I wouldn't even say professional. But um, I sail at university, and I sail, I sail kind of at weekends. Okay. On, on a boat that so we race.
1: But. Keep fit and get your endorphins going. And Norman, what about you? What do you do? Well, relatively similar. Uh,
2: in fact, everybody here, all the vets are sailors. So. Uh, you know, that's why we end up in North Berwick, probably. But, uh, uh, you know, sailing, golf, exercise in general, walking dogs, family, you know, they're all, you know, great diversions to, to you know, get away from work with.
1: So what's next for you guys? What's coming up in the next couple of months, couple of years? Do you have a five-year plan?
2: What's happening? Well, we are moving in about uh, 10 months or so to a, a new build. Uh, this We're bursting at the seams here. So we've got a we've got a project running. We're going to build a a new clinic in the grounds of a local practice that has a you know full service hospital, CT scanner, and so on. So we'll have triple the floor area. We'll be able to run more cases better, Um, and hopefully that you know sets us up for another twenty to thirty years of good good growth at that point. So we're very excited about that. That's great.
1: Exciting times. What about you, Susan? Anything coming up in the next? Uh, I've my
0: exams. So. We'll be sitting exams in January. In
1: January. Mm Okay. You looking forward to those? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Can't wait. Guys, listen, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Really, really appreciate your time. And I'm sure all of our listeners are really going to find all of that really, really helpful. Cheers. So, a huge thank you to my guests, Susan Thorne and Norman Johnston, for joining me on the show. And of course, to our sponsors, Co And remember, you can tune into the waiting room on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever podcasts live. Don't forget to drop us a review helps other people find us and share the feeling on social. So don't forget to subscribe to the tribe, keep on caring and create a practice to be proud of. Until next time, cheers.